is Friday, February 23rd, and this is uh, Season 2, Episode 8 of Mind Body Evolution. Hi, Josh. Hi, Eric. So, um, I've been thinking a lot about AI recently. Uh, and you, you and everyone else, uh, yes. Me and everyone else, uh, and I've, I've been to a couple of uh, professional development events uh, at my university. I have uh, spent some time looking at the products out there. Um, I've been I've been thinking about it uh, to the point where uh, we came up with the title of today's podcast using AI because it was better than our pot, our our titles. It, 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 it worked better. <laughs> well, we were we were working with some clunky exactly, uh, and so uh, it, it came out with a a smoother, more professional sounding title than we would have come out with in our own. Yes, it and did. That is what AI does. Yes, it does. <clears throat> and it rubs the uh, all the all the all the bumps off of things and and makes everything look nice and shiny, but also slightly soulless. And 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 I think the title reflects that as well. It, it's it sounds exactly <laughs> like a very you know typical internet kind of title on a, on an article Parenting or a podcast. And teaching in the age of AI. Yes, yeah. it's very 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 yeah. slick and slightly soulless. Yeah. And that that's you know really the essence of AI. And that is I think its true dangers and its you know true advantages uh, and why we're all going to be using it. And well, that and the fact that it lies to you and presents it as all, truth all of all of these issues yes. slickly and professionally yes yeah uh and and you know can be directed to do that or we'll just do it on its own hard to say can't <laughs> tell yeah uh so it's really interesting being a uh, a professor um as ai has been implemented and seeing sort of the iterations have happened and just i want to start off by just talking about the writing and this is what everyone was first. You mean you mean the writing that you are receiving from, from your the students, students and yeah. how it has been affected by AIs being integrated, or technology in general up till now, with AI being sort of the icing on the cake. What's changed recently? Uh, That's an interesting way of thinking of it because I see, I don't see AI as icing. I see AI as a whole new technology that's changing everything. The way print the printing press did it is, but. Thinking about the from the point of view of a student, uh, a typewriter was a tremendous new advantage. Yes, um, a computer changed everything once it could spell for you. I would not have gotten a PhD if I didn't have a computer that could spell for me. I had a professor in college who told me to write a paper on a computer, and I fought it. And then it never it went changes back. It everything. changed my life. It yeah. changes everything, and it, it changes it because suddenly you don't have to worry about things like the spelling. It just does it for you. And it allow it frees you. It also frees you in other ways because handwriting is actually laborious. You can type much faster, and suddenly thoughts become transformed. Absolutely, into all true words. And so, so quickly, these were things that um, enabled me personally to succeed because I would not have been able to. As a dyslexic person, I am really dyslexic, really very, very dyslexic. I would not have been able to do anything. No, no one would have read my handwritten papers, and the spelling would have made people think I was in fourth grade. Uh, so it, it was, it was, it was something that made it possible. You know, like like a wheelchair might make it possible for someone who can't walk to move around. Uh, it was, it was really a a new and incredibly useful tool. Mm. Uh, and I suspect that there are many people in my generation who were coming forward, you know, in, in the 80s and 90s in the same kind of world where suddenly you realize there's things you could do that you thought you could never do. Mm. Uh, and in science, uh, it, it, to even larger extent, um, 
when I would go into the, the, the storage rooms in various uh, science facilities, I like to look at the old stuff because I'm a curious person. I like to see cool things. And I would see these things that were called standard curves. Uh, and they were um, pieces of plastic that had standardized curves for a graph you would be drawing. Mm. So that if you wanted a bell curve, you could have a narrow one or a wide one, and you would draw it, you would hand draw it and submit that for publication. I would have never been able to publish anything, never a dissertation, nothing, because I cannot hand draw a graph. It doesn't matter if you give me a piece of plastic to trace, there's going to be blobs on it, there's going to be notches on it, it won't line up <laughs> properly. There is absolutely no way I would ever, ever have been able to produce a graph. Uh, I started with, with professors who'd actually trained in the old world. So when I first, uh, because, you know, at first I'd gotten a master's in philosophy and then I switched to a, a PhD program and I had to get some undergraduate classes on the way. And so I was working with some of these older generations of professors who had done an awful lot of hand work for their papers. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things I had to do was take a printout of the United States and draw range maps for amphibians showing their, um, the, where they are, where they, where they, where they used to be, that kind of well, thing. You had to, you had to freehand draw this. I had to freehand draw a range map. And so, in, in in order to be a scientist, you had to also be an artist. Absolutely, basically in every aspect. So, uh, if you want, if you needed an illustration, you had to be able to draw it. Pictures that actually, you know, been invented by the time the 1980s rolled around. So things were being photographed and such. But uh, for a a a range map of organisms, those would be, right. you'd have a printed out map and then you would draw on it where something was. Right, that range map didn't exist before you got the data and needed to create it. And needed to create it, and exactly. Then, you, then it needed to be created. And, and so you'd you go that? back yeah. and forth between, um, you, you, you would research sightings and you would put dots on the map and then you would draw a circle around those dots to show where something was. And I got a D on this project. Uh, and uh, there was there was no way I was going to get anything but a D on this project because my my hand was shaky as I did it. Things didn't line up properly. I would have needed like, six copies of, of 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 this this map to be able to do it. It was it was a nightmare, and it was never going to improve. Um, but this would be tremendously easy on a computer today. Mm -hmm. uh, it, map of the United States. Draw some circles in whatever program you're using. Blop them on the map. And it would be it would be taking so, no time so you at all. Were, you were you were able to do things you wouldn't have been able to do as in a, a handicapped person being prevented absolutely in a society not built for them absolutely. And so so what are you seeing now? Well, we're we're working up to that. And okay. this, this this is actually something I think about a lot uh, is that if you build a world that helps the people who are having the most difficulty, you actually help everyone else as well. And so something that made it possible for me to exist, everyone else enjoyed being able to spell correctly as well. <laughs> uh, and, in, and not have to hand draw. And not have to hand, and, yeah. Yeah, hand draw everything. So um, th this, I think, is, 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 is something where accessibility is uh, something that we need to think about for everyone and should not be for particular individuals, uh, that the better we make life for people who have difficulties, the easier it will be for all of us. Um, you know, it's impossible for someone in a wheelchair to get upstairs. So an elevator helps. An elevator will help everyone. I mean, this is this is the argument for for you know, universal health care and the universal basic income yes. and all anyway, of these things. We're getting yeah. distracted, but uh, these 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 are also things that I I, I directly connect with uh, the, the rise of um, technology and the way it's been interacting with uh, education.
Mm-hmm. And so I, I definitely am getting students who I wouldn't have seen before. Some of them have uh, learning disabilities and they're, they're using the computers to help them. Others have, um, they're, they're English as a second language or they're first generation. None of, none of their family have ever been to university. And so they don't speak the same standard English that a university would expect of them. And so uh, this has been a bit of an issue. For a while, uh, Word, after it was figuring out spelling, started to work a little bit on grammar. And uh, this, this was helping students a little bit, uh, but most of them were ignoring the grammar prompts. Uh, I was generally ignoring the grammar prompts because they, they, they seemed idiosyncratic. They, didn't, they, they, weren't, um, they weren't incredibly useful most of the time. Uh, and so I was getting papers uh, that uh, the spelling had largely been fixed. Uh, sometimes I think the students don't even notice when they get the red underline on this on the mm-hmm, word. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, clearly there's typos. They just put two words together into one big word, and they didn't notice. And word did, but they didn't notice word noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a separate issue. That has nothing to do with with you know computers or AI. But uh, this was something that uh, had been helping students, but there was a limit to it. They 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 their 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 English just couldn't get better with the existing technology. Um, and I was often sending people to the writing center for things like simple, uh, simple things like uh, subject verb agreement. Uh, they, 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 they would say, you know, the people's is and, and instead, of, instead of the people are. And what is what is the writing center? Uh, the writing center at, at the university where you would just send people to be tutored and, and they would go through the, their paper and see what comments I had made uh. and then understand what I meant. Because a lot of students wouldn't know what a subject verb agreement meant. Uh, and so somewhere they, they can get help to interpret your comments. Interpret and, my comment because I'm, yeah. I'm interpreting the way a professor would interpret yeah, something yeah. saying, you know, your, 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 your plurals don't match your verbs <laughs> and they need to. And I can't read your so papers. Has the, has the writing center become the AI? Well, the writing center was definitely helping people. Um, and then when AI came out, I was terrified. Uh, I, I had a lot of students who um, their English was not great. And they had not um, come through a system writing in English. And some of them couldn't really write at all, even though they were in graduate classes with me. Uh, and they'd all gotten A's before because no one had ever really made them write much. And That's rough. so I had decided that uh, for my own sort of <laughs> ability to see myself as a good teacher, I needed to make grad students write papers. And uh, this made them suffer, and and some of them. Oh, sounds like it would also make you suffer because you now have to teach them what you're teaching in addition to teaching them right. how to write. And so I couldn't I couldn't teach them English, so I was sending them to the writing center so they could learn. I said, look, you need to go every week and you need to work on this. And when they did this, I saw tremendous advancement. I I, I saw them actually writing better papers. Somehow I'm not surprised yeah. by that. But some of them were trying to get around the system not have to go to the writing center and not have to do the writing. And so uh, what they would do is they would cut and paste sections of a text. So if they had to write the methods section of a paper, it's just a list of techniques that were done in the actual paper. And my students generally had to paraphrase it. But students who had a hard time with English were having a hard time paraphrasing. First, it was difficult to read the material. It's very technical. And then it was difficult to put it into your own words without just copying the technical information. And this was this was a struggle. So they would put it through something called a, um, a, a, a thesaurus or a text spinner. A 
a thesaurus program. A, a text spinner. A text spinner. And what it does is it, uh, it, it was a way of getting around um, SafeAssign. So SafeAssign is something that professors have that's a record basically of all uh, papers that have been sent to professors ever by professors. And so if a student just copies a, pre a previous paper, it will say you're copying it. And it tells you what percentage is copied. Where does this SafeAssign database get all the papers from? Do all the professors when submit you them? When, whenever I have students submit work, I click the little thing that says check with SafeAssign. And so when SafeAssign is second, checking the paper, they're also recording the paper essentially. Um, so this is data that's, that's collated from all the professors that are using it. Yes, and also I think it knows all the papers that have been, uh, you know, put out in general. Well, forgive me, I know that that most of the people listening to us are actually in this environment. I am not. I have yes, not so, been in the university environment. for Yes, a long stepping time. back for a moment. This, this is, is for professors and students is, in many ways, the, and but, they all should know what I'm talking but about. But what here, I'm yeah. asking is, this is a like this is a ubiquitous thing now, and I just don't know about it because I haven't yes, been there. Yes. Wow. Okay. So so what? Sorry, everyone. For this. so what students had been <laughs> doing is. Um, Supposedly, frats were doing this a lot. I'm not sure if it was all frats or not. I don't want to malign frats in general. But any any group of students with an institutional ability to save papers for next year, right? People's younger brothers, this sort of thing, uh, would just give me the next the paper again the next year. And it's very difficult to tell, especially when you have ten papers on the same subject. Getting one from the previous year would just be slipped sorry, in really easily. I, I forgive, maybe it's just the Sarah Lawrence in me, but what's the point of not doing the work? I just... Exactly. Well, most of the students really do the work, but there's always some who are seeking a way to get by. And you do so much work to not do the work. Anyway, I know, anyway, exactly. All right, all right. And so um, I basically solved the problem with SafeAssign and I was, I was sending back papers to people, you know, this is showing up as 70% copied. You need to put this into your own words some. And then what they would do is they would put it through a, a text spinner. And a text spinner changes the orders and the words used so that you have the same meaning but a different word, and it, it beats safe aside. But what it actually produces is gibberish, particularly <laughs> for scientific papers, because it takes something like an immune system where you can't change those words. An immune system is an immune system. And they would change it to protective framework. And so I would be reading these things. I, I could not understand what the students were doing. And I would ask them and they'd say, yes, I absolutely am writing this myself. I'm just using a little help from this, this um, text spinner to, to you know, get the language right. And I knew what they were actually doing was cutting and pasting chunks, then rewriting it. And if they rewrote it from the text spinner, it actually came out okay sometimes, but I could always tell because of the strange words that were coming out, very strange juxtapositions of language that didn't make any sense, didn't sound like a scientific technical paper, but they were just sort of getting by on this. So you, you could tell you could tell on your own. Yeah, and I got to the point where I was no longer going to accept this. I would say this in my syllabus. If I see any evidence of a text spinner, I'm not going to try and fix your gibberish. I'm just going to say, try again. And I would have students drop out because if they had to try again, they couldn't really write English. And so they had to leave. Uh, and uh, I had students who tried again and got it and actually became good writers. It's, it's amazing. It, it, when you're in your early 20s, simply just having you, someone write, force you to write 10 papers over the course of the semester, the difference between the beginning and the end of the semester is amazing. I watched these students learn to write because no one's ever done this. 
Um, but when you make an effort, it pays off. It really pays off. Yeah. I mean, most of the time when a student turns in a paper, they just get a grade on it. And so what I was doing was I was doing a system where they would turn in a paper, I would write comments, and then we would revise the paper for a new grade. And this really, really helped them learn how to do things, but it meant that they really had to do it. And uh, th that was a bar that some of them couldn't get over. Um, well, I mean, that sounds like a, a reasonable bar. Yeah, absolutely. And now things have changed again. So we, we left behind the story spinner world when we entered the world of AI. And I was afraid of what all the other professors were afraid of. I was afraid that the students were simply going to have AI write their papers, turn it into me, and I'd see that it was too perfect and I knew I, it was too good to be a student's writing, but there would be nothing I could do about it. And I would, I would just have to give everyone an A and no one would be doing any work anymore. But that's not what happened. It's not what happened. I had a, a pure writing class. It's all online. There's no reason that they couldn't do this. But because I got ahead of it, I, I, I realized what might happen. I wrote a long description in my syllabus of what I would like them to do. I said, you can turn in AI papers as long as you also give me the prompts. And I realized that um, looking at a scientific paper, you can't easily take a scientific paper and just cut and paste it into ChatGPT and then have it uh, turn it out not in, a in the right way. Not a scientific paper. No. Um, Other kinds of papers, possibly, maybe you can. But you're t taking a journal article and then asking for a summary of it in a, in a particular format. It was, was difficult for ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. I was able to force ChatGPT to do it if I broke it down into small segments. Mm -hmm. And I could, I could make each segment give me a good piece of text that made sense, um, free of hallucination if I kept it short. Uh, but I had to have a prompt to do that. And I told them, if you give me the prompts, I will approve any AI text you give me. But unlike if you write it yourself, th there's a limit. You can't give me a 100-page AI paper and expect me to read it. I, I will read two pages of AI writing, two single space pages of AI writing. If you as a person give me four pages of single space writing, I will read that. I will not read four single space pages of AI writing. You have to keep it in the limits because with AI, you can tell it what those limits are. Mm -hmm. And so I figured if I was teaching AI engineering, I wanted to see prompts. They had to keep it to a very specific format and I wanted to see them do that. And so I thought that that would be really a useful way for students to learn how to use AI as a, as a sort of writing tool. Uh, Did I'm, they do this? I'm now uh, on my third year of this, two and a half, um, and no student has taken me up on this. Uh, zero of them have actually used AI to write a paper when I have told them I will accept it and you can you just have to tell me how you did it um, because it's actually harder than what... Yeah, I was, I was going to say, it sounds like you're really integrating their work into what the AI is doing that way. And you're making them prove it. I was so trying I, I to, like this. it just never happened. They just never, they've so, never done it. So are they just submitting AI papers without telling you or are they doing the work themselves? No, as far as I can tell, no. Whenever I see things improve too much uh, or uh, if, if, there's, if, there's a, if there's a strange soulless feeling to a paper, mm -hmm. I do run it through the AI detectors. What are the AI detectors? Um, there are programs that look for what's called bursting. Bursting is when a, the author of a paper uh, chooses an unusual word 
or an unusual turn of phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, and AIs don't do this. AIs are very, very straight ahead. That's why they're soulless. They always write the same thing in sort of, not the same way. They can actually write in a hundred different ways, but they'll write it in that same soulless way every, mm -hmm. every time. Mm -hmm. And it's always going to be a very standard English. There, I'm not going to see any evidence that someone came from another country or someone's family right. came from another country. I'm not going to see unusual grammar formations. Uh, I'm not. Or even interesting or unique or exactly. funny. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything. AI will never throw in a comment right in the middle. I'll often tell them it, you really shouldn't in a scientific paper. What, how, how, but it lets me know I'm really reading a student. When you run it through a detector, how does it return that response? Does it be? Is it just like yes, this was written by AI, and no, it wasn't. I it, mean, is it that clear? No, it's actually really funny. It it gives me a percentage of how how human the work is. Huh. And and so a lot of my students come in out as about sixty percent human, and so I'm wondering what are what are they doing that these these papers have suddenly gotten better, but they're not using these AI prompts that I said they could. Doesn't seem like they're using AI overall. I'm seeing what is clearly their own language sometimes. I'm seeing what is clearly their own ideas. And yet they have improved without being I've pure AI. I've seen a AI. sudden improvement and uh, grammar has is no longer an issue with most students. Uh, and uh, and they're coming off, when, when I see the sudden improvement with perfect grammar from someone I wasn't expecting it from, they come out as 60% human. So why are they not 100% human? Do you have an answer to this? I do. I do. I figured out what they're doing because I asked them. And, and they told you? Well, because I said, look, I'm not going to give you a hard time. I just need to know what's going on. And every time they would do these weird things, I would ask them. Some of them, they, they lied about the text spinners. I had to figure that out. They're like, no, that's my own paper. I'm like, no, it's <laughs> no, not. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no human writes that way. <laughs> Um, but they, 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 they didn't lie about this because one, I had a really good relationship with some of these students. So they, they would, they would tell me what they were doing. And I said, just tell me. So I, what I, I really are they wanted... doing? It's Grammarly. So Grammarly. Grammarly, uh, is a program that, uh, figures out if your grammar is in the right format. Uh, and students had been using it, but it wasn't helping them much. But starting about a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, Grammarly hooked up with OpenAI. And so Grammarly is now rewriting their papers for them. And it's not a prompt, so it's not, this, it's not what I'm asking for in my syllabi, but they're taking each section of their papers that they write. So they're writing a paper and they're running it through Grammarly and it's fixing everything. So it, the, Grammarly now is both fixing the grammar and doing an AI push through it as well. Just to make sure everything comes out nice and smoothly. But but it doesn't know anything that the student hasn't given it. So it's still all the student's work, sort of. And it, I'm not completely comfortable with this, but I'm, I'm growing comfortable uh, because what I'm seeing is students who would have a really hard time with a pure writing class doing much, much better because of this. Uh, they are able to turn in papers with perfect subject uh, verb agreement. Uh, they, they, if I say um, you need to make a topic sentence on this particular topic, they can say, you know, Grammarly, I need a topic sentence that says this. Grammarly will fix it. I'm getting a lot of really good papers without the same errors as before. And I feel that what the students are doing is thinking 
in a useful way about these things and then running it through Grammarly and turning in good papers. Grammarly is not writing the paper for them, but it's fixing the papers. And at first, I, I thought this is horrendous. They'll never learn anything. They'll never learn. This is what my, my, my teachers told me about spelling, that as soon as I get a spell check, I will never learn to spell. For me, this was always going to be true. You were never going to learn to spell. I was never going to learn to spell. This was not a question in my mind, and it but, shouldn't but, have been in theirs. But, but your students at their age could learn to write English better, and it would yes. actually improve their life if they're going to be here. Well, what happened to everyone else with spell check is spell check taught them how to spell uh. because it kept underlining things that were the same word every single time. And it would remind them that this is how you need to spell it. And, you know, so when I was in fifth grade, I was held back from every recess because I couldn't spell the word because. And I had to write because double the amount of times as, I, as the last recess every time I misspelled it, which was, you know, several times a day. Was this in the UK or here? This was in the United States. Oh, my God. And I, so I was writing because hundreds and hundreds of times every recess. I still That's causing me pain here. Every that story. yes, exactly. No, so that 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 scene in Harry Potter where he has to write something and the appear the words appear in blood on his skin. That's taken directly from that approach to teaching. Um, it, it it was like it was like carving these words into my own skin. Uh, it was it was so. Can painful. you spell the word because now? Not really. If I if I, I work at it, I can mostly do it. But I'll be typing along and I'll see the little red underline. I'll go back and change it. Uh, because because is a word that often comes out so, wrong. So are you maintaining that, that maybe people are learning how to write more slowly and differently, but they're still learning how to write? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm trying to say that like a lot of people learn how to spell from spell check, I'm seeing in the papers they write for me in class that are handwritten, uh, their, their, their language is better than it had been. Mm. And it might be that they'd all just suddenly been taught better and I've suddenly I've got a better crop, crop of students. I do not believe this. Every other professor at the university is talking about how terrible the students are and they're getting worse every year. Sorry, students out there. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, mm -hmm. How do I say that better? Uh, there, are, there are worries <laughs> that the universe concerns. Yeah, there are concerns that... Uh, the the students are um, are are not as good as they have been in previous years. I actually personally do not think that the problem lies completely with the students. I think it lies with the professors as much as it does with the students. As we get older, we get pickier in our lives, and many of the older professors remember how they were taught. They remember hand-drawing range maps. They remember cross-hatching pictures. Basically, and you're talking about hazing. It's not quite hazing, but there's, there's, there's... Which is deep in the university culture. There is a feeling in the university culture that, um, you know, we have standards and we want our students to meet them. Whether those standards are important for the rest of the world or not doesn't always matter to the university. And that's where it comes no, to hazing. I, I like this because, but, but your sampling is way, way, way too small. Like, oh, absolutely. I, I have been but having it's... ongoing conversations about how AI is going to make it so that nobody needs to learn how to write anymore. But if what you're telling me is that the right professor can still make students think and teach them how to think and use the tools they have, to produce better papers, and then that, the, re the repetition of that pedagogical approach actually improves their writing on its own. Yes. That is a very hopeful thing. But again, your sampling is way too small for me to really hang on to that at this point. Well, if 
a student uses AI instead of writing, they won't get better. But if they use AI to fix their writing, or they to will. Or write better. They use AI and the tools they have in order to produce better writing. So the reason my students are coming out as 60% human is Grammarly is artificially changing their language, but it's not complete. So it's not a 100% AI. Because they did actually write it. Right. And so I see their comments, I see their ideas, but I see it written really well. I, I am blown away by the fact that, that these AI detectors can actually assess it to that level of, of, of subtlety and, and, and fineness. It's amazing. The, yeah. the way you've described it, it is 60 to 65% their work. They did write it, but then everything else went exactly. and made it readable. Right. And so if I, if I get numbers that are, if they're not majority human, <laughs> yeah. I, I tell them to try again and that they have to rewrite with their own words what, what, what's, what's there. I don't do this every, for every paper. I, I, I do spot checks. If, if a student is, is, you know, if I see a sudden change in a student's writing, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Or if I see writing that just appears too good to be true. I will do it. But, you know, normally I can tell what a student should write like. So you don't, you don't by rote run every student through an AI detector the way, the way you run them through SafeAssign. Right. SafeAssign is just a click. Uh, whereas the, 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 the programs that I use for students to submit their work do not have an AI detector built into them yet. I think that's only a matter it's of time. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. It will be built in very shortly. And it's really interesting how some of these detectors work. They, um, they're not just, was this copied from a previous paper or does it lack uh, bursting and turns of phrase that are human? They're also looking for the kinds of things that a uh, forensic uh, examination would look at. They're looking at, do the fonts change partway through? Was this cut and pasted? Uh, is, is there line spacing differences? Are the, um, wow. are the editorial choices consistent throughout the paper? <laughs> uh, if, if someone has a particular kind of, so, you know, in, in details, there's something called an M dash versus an N dash. Yes. The length of a dash in a yes. paper has to be one it has thing. has to be consistent. Yeah. Uh, published papers are all consistent because the editor, the editors will make you do that. They'll make you use the M dash. And so yeah. if a student is cutting and pasting from a published paper, there'll be a sudden change in editorial choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the N dash will turn into M dashes. Or like, vice versa, did exactly. did you make that choice or did that just happen? And, yeah. and so these programs pick up on that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, So So, and, and it gives me a report on it as well. And so I then report this to the students and at the very least it makes their papers better because now now they're not changing fonts halfway through the paper because they, they care now. And they're starting to do things like highlighting their whole paper, making sure it's in the same, uh, you know, point and uh, the same, the same font, uh, which they should have done anyway. Yes. And they should have done even if they weren't cutting and pasting, but it's the kind of thing that I can now make them pay attention to. So I'm making them better writers on these sort of technical levels, even if that technical level is essentially filing the serial numbers off of their, their fake work. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking about this. Am I, am I just preparing students to not be able to write and get out there and uh, uh, produce bad papers that they then fix. And I realized if they can do that for most of the time, that's going to be fine. If they, if they don't write very well, but they know how to put it through Grammarly and turn out a good paper, that's sort of the bottom I line. Mean, these, these tools aren't going away. The, you know, it's, again, I have to keep coming back to, to, to the Sarah Lawrence education. And the question is, can they think? Like if they can think their way through 
a problem to a solution, then they can force the tools that they have to get them to show how they did that well enough. Yeah. Yeah. AI, they are scientists. AI can think for you, but you have to be able to set it up properly. And Grammarly is doing very little thinking for you. It's really just rephrasing things into a better format. And so it's it's still really their own thoughts. And that, that's why I've decided to accept and it. It's, and it's not a text spinner. It doesn't take immune system and turn it into protective Protect framework. Exactly. No, no. It gives me good words. And it knows when to use the right ones. Because that's what AI does, right? It, it predicts yeah. the next word in a series of so words. So you're, you're really, you're really, you're presenting a more hopeful integration, a more hopeful view, a more hopeful view of the integration of AI into education and the future of our work than yeah. I've really seen up till now. Well, because I was really afraid and I got in, I, I got in, in front of it. I, I, I went to the AI classes that the university was giving me. I, I studied it on my own. I figured out what I could do. I wrote some papers on my own using AI. Mm. Uh, and they're good papers. They do a great job. I, obviously, these are not things I've submitted for anything because they're full of fake data. <laughs> <laughs> they're full of fake data and they're fake citations. Right. That's, that's when you told me that it had made up a perfect experiment and outcome that never happened. Yeah. So like, I, 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 I was writing papers where I, I never did the experiment and it, it did the experiment for me, did the results for me, gave me statistics. Um, it was, you know, it was all there and, and, and does a great job doing that. So AI can be a, a, a really useful guide for how to put something together. You could actually get it to tell you how to conduct the experiment you want to do, and it would write the methods for you. And then you could do those methods and you would get useful results. Then you write it yourself. <laughs> and then you could, you do You could write it yourself. You would cut and paste the methods and if anything you changed, you yeah. would, you would, you would fix to show what you actually did. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is the world we're going into. Um, there are definitely still fears. So you know, I know a um, a young engineer who just graduated from engineering school, and he wrote his uh, structural engineering thesis entirely with the AI. Uh, and this makes me worry thinking about structural engineers who didn't actually do the research for structural engineering are out there building our bridges. Yeah, well, I mean, in, in some places, the structural engineers who did do the work still build buildings that I fall down. think so. about that. You know, yeah. the guy who just had the workmen hammering away at the pillar that held up the building. They just found that out. And yeah. he signed off it. He said, that's not a structural pillar holding up that building that anyone could have looked at the pillar seeing, yeah, that's holding oh, up the that building. Oh, that is structural. Yeah, Playing or, Jenga with a building. Right. Yeah. Or, or the, you know, the, the department store in 1996 when I went to Korea, like at the end of 90s, the department store had just fallen down. So like, I, I suspect that um, there is human error and there's AI error. And both of these things we cannot get rid of, but I think we'll actually end up in a better world if we can use them in conjunction. If mm -hmm. AI can be used to evaluate something and say, you probably shouldn't knock down that pillar, but you also need people checking the AI because AI will hallucinate and come up with wrong things. There's no building there. There's, There's just a pillar. Don't yeah, worry yeah, about yeah. it. And, 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 and really consistently, you know, so there was, there was, there was a new AI that came out recently that was supposed to have stopped hallucination. And I asked it a question that I'd asked previous AIs and it gave me the same hallucinatory answer as all the other ones. Well, may I ask what question you're using or is this a proprietary question? No, no, it's a really, it's a really interesting one. I'm, I, I wonder if I say it enough, if the AI will learn, um, because it'll read yeah. this. Yeah. But, uh, I asked it if there is any art uh, carved onto hand axes. So hand axes, uh, Paleolithic hand axes, by definition, end 
before art begins. Right, before with, art had been with separated a out. two or 300,000 year gap between the two. Um, and so by definition, there cannot be any art on hand axes. However, hand axes might have pretty stripes on them that the person knowingly included when they made the hand axe, but that was not something they carved in it. Uh, it is difficult for AI to read Wikipedia discussing these things and understand that hand axes don't have art on it. They see hand axes being made. They define art as something that gets made. Hand axes have an aesthetic value. They define art as having aesthetic value. And so the AI says, yes, absolutely hand axes are an example of purposeful art showing an artistic result. Uh, and that and it gives me examples of it. And we'll say there was carvings on these things, there was decorations on them, and say, at this particular site, these, these engraved hand axes were found. I know the site that they're talking about. They got it right from Wikipedia. I've read the article. There was no engraved hand axes found at that site. But there were things that made the AI think this. And so this is the kind of stuff where um, it's very difficult to um, know unless you're an expert in the field. Uh, so... Uh, you know, for example, uh, uh, I was helping a, someone uh, make a list of archaeological sites. And um, I said, well, let's just have AI start with the list. And then what we'll do is we'll go in and check every archaeological site against Google that AI has listed and see if it really exists. And it you know, did a great job and, and we came up with all these fairly well-known sites. Um, but some of the archaeologists who were then checking this could not recognize any of the things that have been found. So even though they're in Google and findable, they're not things that were really in the field of archeology. span So they were still being hallucinated because someone somewhere out there on the web had put something in the popular literature, but it didn't actually exist under that name or context in real archeological literature. And so AI can't tell the difference between that even when checked by someone who, who's checking to see if each of these things exist at that site with that name and the, and those dates, um, AI is going to give you wrong answers and lead you astray. Right, this just goes to this just goes to show there's no such thing as understanding where the AI is concerned. AI has no understanding. There's no free lunch. You have to be able to do some of this stuff yourself. Um, and it does worry me as we. You know, there are some downsides. We'll I mean, you, you, you can use this to help you, but you still need to be an expert. You still need to know things. You still need to have knowledge and be able to evaluate yourself. Is this actually better? Is this actually right? And a lot of people are going to be using AI as their search. Uh, and so AI is going to be summarizing search results. And AI is going to be what's teaching people uh, in the in the future. In that you you search something and well, find. Well, but not if not if your model is followed. As long, I mean, you still need a teacher. You still need a person there. But AI is not going to tell you that. So if you're a student <laughs> and you think and you think you can get an answer from AI, you're going to Google it, and AI is going to give you the answer, and you're going to cut and paste it. And most of the time, you're going to be right. And um, okay, so here's the other dark side uh, that is coming really rapidly. Uh, then professors are going to take these things and run them through AI to grade the papers. This is absolutely coming soon. When I first started playing with ChatGPT, if you took something and just cut and paste it into ChatGPT, it would give you a revised summary of it. And you could tell you how you want it, how long, and what format, this sort of thing. Now, if you just take a paper and cut it into ChatGPT, it evaluates the paper. It gives you comments and tells, tells you what how the paper is doing and, and what it's doing. It, it basically looks at it the way a, a teacher would. And so I think, I think that the engineers are subtly trying to bribe, particularly high school teachers, um, 
and saying, you know, you were worried that all the students weren't going to be doing any work. You don't need to do any work. You can now take your students' papers, cut and paste them into ChatGPT. All the comments will be written for you. You just put a grade at the top. You adjust the comments as you see fit because, it, you know, it's your, it's your work. Um, and it's going to save you so much time. And so this is how AI is really being used. It's being used to save time. And it's being used by people who are intrinsically lazy, which is all of us. Um, <laughs> and, and it's going to mostly be useful and helpful and wonderful. Uh, and occasionally it's Except going to mislead us. Except for the people us. that it provides catastrophes for because it's misled them and it's they didn't misled catch them it. And they didn't catch it. And this is going to happen over and over again. It's going to happen to professors. It's going to happen to students. Lawyers. Lawyers, exactly. And it's it's going to be happening more and more often. And our AI hopefully will get better and better to try and minimize this. But we're going to have to have AI look at AI. You know, And, and there'll have to be specialized AIs. If you want something for science, you're going to have to have one that's dedicated to that. If you want literature, one that's dedicated to that instead of these sort of general generalists ones. Um, th this is where I've been thinking about uh, sort of how AI works a lot in, in relation to the human brain, is that our brain is made up of something like sections of specialist AI material. So that it's these 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 very difficult to understand feedback loops that even when you know all the components, you can't really understand what's happening uh, because everything has its own inhibitors on it, on something that's also excitatory, and it's all these feedback loops in the brain. Each section of the brain talking to other sections of the brain, but also independently running its own sets of calculations. Mm -hmm. And you know, so when. Freud was trying to talk about an unconscious. He had no concept of how brain actually worked. Uh, but now we're starting to see that there are these port parts that are not, we don't consciously understand them, but they're doing all of the calculations that lead us to how we live our life. So there's something that tells us in our brain is, you know, who is this person? They do facial recognition and says, you know, does this person, is this person someone you recognize? That's going to be connected to reward centers. Then I get dopamine if I see someone I like. I don't get dopamine if I don't see someone I like. All of these things are prior to our conscious understanding of, oh, I like this person. Uh, and so there, there's all of these things sort of happening under the hood that then come up to a level of consciousness. Um, certainly uh, much of philosophy, Buddhism, etc., has thought for a long time that consciousness itself is an illusionary sort of um, uh, emergent uh, capability built onto all of these underlying pieces. Um, and this is, this is something that, uh, you know, I think AI is kind of working at, that um, it's trying to create the illusion of all of these pieces at once, which is part of why it doesn't work really well. But uh, it's going to need specialized pieces that work together to work on specific components. Uh, and then there's going to need to be an overall AI that is going to have to say, here I'm putting it together into this sort of personality. Uh, so you're talking about building a brain from I'm building multiple a brain, AIs. Multiple AI components, none of which themselves have a soul. This is an old science fiction concept. Absolutely. None of which themselves have a soul, but as an aggregate might have something more than the pieces on their own. So yeah, I don't know what... you've gone a step too far for me, but... Well, exactly. But I don't know what a human soul is. Uh, I feel like I have one. All I know is that I feel things and that the machines don't. So that's some that's that's just a, a bridge that can't be the divide that can't be crossed. It's 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 just one Turing test away. You know, it's 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 if something until they make us believe that they're feeling because they're still machines, they don't feel. We're a machine. We I mean we are incredibly complicated machines, but we are machines. 
We are absolutely mechanistic. Dopamine and all the all hormones, of these things. None all of, of that things. stuff exists in electric. No, no, realm. and 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 so this is this is something where I, I don't know if they'll ever ever really be able to um, uh, compete with us in that sense. Exactly. Uh, but just on a uh, but I think that's a, that's a that's a computational issue. Uh, the, so um, by Moore's law, computers will have as many uh, transistors as a human brain has neurons in the next 10 years or so by Moore's law. So to, number of neurons in a human brain, number of, neuro, of, of, of transistors on a chip. Do neurons and transistors work the same way? Are they, well, here's the thing. Um, are they actually comparable in that way? In many ways. So a, 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 a transistor has an input and an output, and then it has a, a third wire that comes in mm -hmm. that tells it whether or not that input and output should be passed on. Yeah. So, so, so there's a feedback aspect to it, and then there's a throughput aspect to it. That is how nerves work. They, they, they have inputs, they have outputs, and they have a, 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 a nerves that come in from and the is side. is it only on or off, or is there a well, modulation? Well, that's the thing. That's is the there, thing. Is there a is gradient? Because the... they're biological systems, yeah. everything's working with diffusion gradients. Yes. Um, the, the, the numbers of inputs are, are, are in the, in the um, hundreds. The numbers of outputs are in the hundreds. And the things that tell it to be on or off are in the 50, 60 thousands. So even while we'll have the same number of neurons as, as transistors, or transistors as we have neurons very, very soon, um, we are, I think, many, 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 many orders of magnitude away from being able to do, for, for computers to be able to do what people really do. Right. So, right. so And then yeah. that is all affected by all of this gooey, mushy mess that creates feelings. Like this is this never will exist in, in no matter how many AIs you cobble together to create a brain from the culture series, you're never going to get something that feels anything. Well, it it can record inputs. It can we don't it see. Can, here's it the can problem: sense damage. It can. It's not going to hurt. We can make it say it does, and we will never know what it really does because all the actual computations are not really accessible. AIs do not <laughs> are not written by people. They write themselves, and we won't really know. Somewhat like the brain is. So, what could possibly go wrong? I know. So if you look at any neuron in the brain, it clearly is, it's alive, but it's not thinking. It's just sending out chemicals. Yes. The whole brain is doing this. I see so what you're saying. At a certain level, it's just an immersion property. It becomes a gestalt. Something like that. Um, yeah. I just, I guess, and this is where, and this is where, although I am not a religious person, I guess this is where a sense of belief comes in. I believe that I am fundamentally different than any machine that is not biological. So, so there's, there's a wasp out there with, with about 12, 14 neurons. It can dig a burrow, lay eggs, or actually dig a burrow first. Then it goes and gets a, a spider, knows which species of spider to find. One species. It has a particular array of them but out of the bazillions yes it knows which ones yeah. it wants right size right place goes and finds its burrow again and lays an egg in the spider and the spider gets horribly eaten by its progeny this is complex this is something that'll be very difficult to get a computer to do to, to to be able to find something in the wild pick it up fly it back inject it in the exact right way with the with the poison so that the spider doesn't die uh, and stays nicely fresh for the horrible things that are going to eat it alive um, 
all, all of this is tremendously complex. It is mostly hardwired into the, into the wasp, but the wasp has to have a lot of flexibility. It doesn't know where that spider is going to be. It has to be able to bring that spider back to its home where it, you know, it makes a new home every year or different wasps make different homes. All of these things have to be able to be flexible. And, and, there's, and there's, you know, less than 20 neurons in its brain. Uh, so clearly number of neurons is not the defining characteristic. It's, it's, it's the connections between them. It's, it's diffusion constants relating between, you know, a feeling in some ways is a buildup of particular things like dopamine in particular areas of your brain at the same time as say serotonin is building up in another part of your brain and your feeling is then averaging between these, these diffusion, uh, uh, constants that are showing how, what the concentration is and how far it's spreading in certain areas. These are feelings. Uh, and they're really, really complex. Right. And you're, but you're, and you're talking about the, 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 the gradient mixture over an actual physical distance of mush. It's, it's just, no matter how complex you get an AI brain to be, you're never going to have that. I, I, I don't know if that's true. I mean, this is, this is what, what Turing was asked when he, when he, when they said, you know, our, he was just saying it wouldn't make a difference because we wouldn't know. No, no. He he actually said, um, I think I'm intelligent and I'm a machine. So th his 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 that was his straight out reasoning. Machines will eventually be intelligent because people are intelligent and people are machines. And but end are, of are, but argument. Are, but are we machines? Are are animals are machines? Like it's all a machine? Yeah. I mean, how how a, a biological thing that is born as opposed to a a, a a a silicon thing that is made? I I don't I don't I don't see how they are different. They're just a collection of 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 uh, molecules interacting in particular ways. You can build any one of them. Okay, Doctor Manhattan. It's just it's just a code. <laughs> you're you're right. I mean, when you it's just code. Okay. It's really incredibly I beyond can't. our understanding. Complex code. I, I can't argue with that. You know, uh, I, one of my favorite comics, XKCD, was 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 saying, you know, people people from the um, computer world come into biology and say it's just code. I'm going to solve all your problems right now. And he says, you know, look at the optimization for Google. Google's only been around for a couple of decades now. The 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 you know, code source for Google is is a nightmare of code at this point yeah, because it's been, it's been building and building and building on itself for decades. We have code that's been building and building on itself for a billion years. So, so the optimization processes are really subtle and they're, they're, and for those years, we've been doing a lot of that optimization very slowly, but, but <laughs> in, involving things like making a new kind of neuron to do a yeah, particular yeah. new kind of mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then putting those together, right. Um, so, you know, you were just talking about, uh, or I was talking about the, the, uh, the ghost in the machine aspect of our brain where we have this consciousness. We think our consciousness sits in our forebrain, uh, the, the, the prefrontal lobe. That's what we take out when you do a frontal lobotomy. Mm -hmm. uh, we think that's where sort of um, uh, impulse control and all this sort of higher reasoning comes in. Ours is only 6% 6 6 larger than a chimpanzee's. Our brain as a whole is about four times larger, so 400% larger but our frontal lobe is only about 6% larger. We think our frontal lobe does better work than chimps does, more, you know, better by more than just 6%. Uh, and it's all about the folding in there. Mm -hmm. So the, the shapes of things matter in biology an mm -hmm. awful lot. Mm -hmm. We're only beginning to explore this kind of thing in, in, uh, in AI and, and the architecture and how mm -hmm. these architectures are going to work with each other. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think most AIs are working calculations at the level of, um, say what some of the dopamine circuits might be doing in your in your nucleus accumbens, right? So these are things that tell you whether something is good or bad. That deep, deep, low understanding yeah, of basic things. Way, way below uh, most of the, you know, higher portions of the brain. Um, higher portions of the brain that explain what we what we feel. And so, you know, I think I think AI might end up working along those lines. Again, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be us anytime soon. But as soon as it can fool us, that's, that's what Turing said, that it will, it will, be, um, it will be us and, and indistinguishable from us. And it doesn't really matter if it is actually as complex. Well, it's not fooling us yet. And it's, no. as hard as your students work, it still can't necessarily fool you all the time. No, and, and, and that's the nice thing is, is, is that soul that you're talking about that, 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 that the bursting is. Well, I didn't for. use that word, but yeah. okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that makes us different from the machines, it's not just the mistakes. It's our idiosyncrasies. It's, it's, um, the turns of phrases you use personally. There's a, there's an entropy to your language. Yes. Uh, and, uh, some people have a higher entropy than others. They have a, a wider vocabulary. They use more variety. Other people have um, very specific turns of phrases. So, you know, when Ted Kaczynski was producing his stuff, they were able to identify him partly by looking at the entropy of his language. Because mm -hmm. he'd written a lot, they could compare what kinds of words he used to mm -hmm. uh, other, other, other things. The AI is doing similar kinds of work, uh, and the AI detectors are looking for that. And so they're, they're looking for... Uh, you know, what makes this person human? It, it's, it's those turns of phrases. It's unusual things that they say. It's uh, relating something to, to a scientific paper that an AI wouldn't mention. So, you know, if I write, if I'm having my students write a paper on, um, say, uh, blood sugar content, uh, students will often talk about family members who have diabetes. AI is never going to do that. It's never going to just throw that into a paper. Um, my students need me to know these things because they're humans talking to a human. And this, this is where personal feeling comes in. And this is the kind of stuff that an AI detector can find and say, no, yeah, that's not an AI. That's a person. They just talked about their mom. You know, yeah. these, 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 these are, these are things that, um, AIs would have difficulty for, you know, it's a funny thing in, in, in Blade Runner, the Voight comp test, uh, you know, you're, you're in a desert and you, and you see a tortoise lying on its back on its in the back. sun. Yeah. You know, what's a tortoise and you know what a turtle is, same thing, you know, that whole thing. Um, this that was trying to elicit an emotional response uh, in this AI. One of the interesting things of uh, of, of um, Philip K. Dick was uh, he thought that eventually you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. He wondered if we could tell the difference in ourselves. Are we ourselves AI? This is what some of the whole simulation questions are. Would you even know if you yourself are an AI? Um, I mean, we're going back and, to the reboot of Battlestar Galactica and so it, that ends with the merging of. And so, 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 so with with um, with uh, uh, with Blade Runner, do androids dream of electric sheep? There was a hypothesis that if you let the androids live long enough, they'd be able to pass the Voight comp test. And what they'd done is they'd started implanting false memories so that these androids thought that they were human and these false memories gave them that background and you could still just about tell who they were with the void comp test but it took much much longer they were able to pass it for longer because they were having these emotional responses that they said that they felt but they were not real in the sense of a human because they were artificial they never actually had they never actually had those experiences yeah so i don't know where the limit is I think we're actually really far away from that limit. 
Um, these are still tools. I don't need, think we need to be afraid of them. I think in the context of teaching, I think we do need to be afraid of them when it comes to, uh, say, facial recognition by an authoritarian government. Uh, that's going to be really bad. You combine facial recognition with, say, AI of who's likely to act out against the government based on who their associations are. I mean, we can go a lot further because AI can can see, can just track everyone's cell phone and then start predicting where you're going to be. Exactly. And predict who your associations are likely to be and then arrest you on behalf of these predictions. And, um, you know, there, there are a lot of places where a government would be, I would think, I'm, I, you know, they're willing to they're absolutely willing to arrest a few innocent people if it just stops any possibility of rebellion. Uh, that, that wouldn't bother them at all. And so this is the kind of stuff where I'm afraid of AI, that, mm -hmm. that kind of prediction. I'm also afraid of AI uh, when it comes to uh, predicting my uh, marketing choices, where it will predict what I want, what I want, what I want. And there's a certain sort of subtle moment where it's telling me what I want. And if, if it's always right, it knows what I want. I mean, but and then is, it suggests something to me that I might want. Right. Now it's starting to make me want those I mean, things. And this, is, and this is what frightens me about, about the coming use of, of, of teachers uh, using and professors using these, these tools to grade papers. Because if I oh, mean, yeah. you, you begin to, you begin, we're now giving up. You're saying that there's a way to get a hold of this. But then if teachers start using it to grade the papers that the students have used to write it, we're giving, we're giving it away. And as, as our papers move more and more towards an AI optimum standard English, the AI will pick up on this and refine the AI standard English even more. We're all going to be writing and talking like newscasters on the exactly. nightly news. Exactly. Yes, yes. That's, that's where we are definitely headed because that's where, um, where AI will take us uh, because it, it, it doesn't, it's not making these decisions. It, we are. We're, we're, we're saying a paper that doesn't have a lot of weird stuff in it is better than a paper that does. I have to believe the humanity will persist, that we will keep our human nature one way or another. Like, no, I'm, I'm sure a, a, a high school professor will have a, a paper that gets graded and then at the bottom say, hey, I, 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 I saw you at the uh, school Christmas party. It was, it, was great. it was great hearing you sing or you know, something like that right at the bottom to show that they're human. But the rest of it will all be AI. <laughs> You know, I, I, I think that's the kind of uh, uh, world we're, we're heading toward where um, workers are using AI to do rough drafts of basically all of their work. Then they're quickly rewriting it, submitting it to a manager who puts it through an AI to see if it's there. The workers will be hired by AI, already are. Uh, the AI checks the resume and goes through tens of thousands to pick the right person. Um, if I'm writing a resume, I'm going to say, hey, AI, what, what words should I put in this resume to get it noticed by an AI? And it will tell me. Yep. Uh, and, you know, optimization. So uh, I should probably take my podcasts and put them through, you know, search optimization AI so that I know exactly what to do there. There are people who are paid to come up with search optimization terms. That doesn't need to be done. It could be done by AI. Absolutely. Um, I would bet if there are people being paid to come up with search optimization terms, they're already using AI to come up with those terms for you. Well, I mean, we use AI to, to, to create the, the, the transcript of this. Uh, it does a terrible job, by the way. I've been reading uh, the transcripts. I do, I do, I do a little spot checking, to be honest, but I don't go through it entirely. But part of the problem is that it doesn't know when one of us stops and the other one starts. But combined with my sort of repetitive study stuttering and misstepping on words all the time, it it has a lot of problems. It's and then the and then the, my my vocabulary, you know, it 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 it. it 
did not know who Don Scotus was the other day when I mentioned it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I try to go through and catch the important terms so that they're so that they are on the web correctly. But yes, I will miss some too. But yeah. yeah anyway, so this for me was 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 really hopeful as 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 a professor to see my students actually getting better at writing. Uh, through the way they're using AI, not the way I expected it. I thought that they'd be making their outlines with AI, uh, but students don't make outlines. They just start writing the paper and then something goes wrong. So they fix it using Grammarly. And so it, 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 it's not a I process sure I thought- I hope y'all are using outlines. It makes everything easier and helps you write the paper and rewrite the paper. Absolutely. It's but if, but so important. At, at the level I'm working with where their students are, are reading one scientific journal article, and then they're writing a two-page single-space paper on that scientific journal article. Um, an outline doesn't help you much because mm. it, the, the paper is already broken up into sections. Those sections already have a particular format. I guess, again, I'm a product of a Sarah Lawrence education. You're thinking of a 20-page paper where you've read four books. Yeah. And you need to think about how those books relate to each other. Yes, I am. That's that's the humanities. It's a very different diff, different kind of world. Now, if someone's writing a, a, a thesis, I suggest you start off by your, your dissertation thesis, ask the AI what to do. Ask the AI about each chapter. It will make your life much easier. Ask the AI to help you write the outline. Yeah. No, this is, this is what I've been doing, and I, I, I absolutely use it that way, um, and I, I, I hope to use it even more. There's, there's an awful lot of um, writing that is not really necessary that is there to keep bureaucracies alive. Uh, bureaucracies eat paper. And so the AI will now be producing this paper. And very soon, the AI will be doing the bureaucracy side of things too. So AI will be feeding itself paper and we can just sit back and watch it all happen. And watch it hallucinate and mess with our lives. <laughs> yes, well, there'll be, there'll be, it'll be a while, but it, eventually a tenure review will be AI conducted. You'll well, just submit your stuff and It'll be come up with an answer. This has been a, a pretty far ranging conversation, but I have to say I'm, it's really the, the, the first seriously hopeful view I've had of how AI can be integrated into a university setting and, and, and that positive outcomes can come. So thank you for that. Thank you. And I think it, they are actually are. As I said, I, th I, I think my students are actually writing better now than they have previous years. That's, that's an amazing thing to hear. All right. Well, thank you, Josh. Until next time. Thank you. Keep writing, everyone.